0: Hello and welcome to Macrobytes, the economics and politics podcast from Aberdeen. My name is Luke Bartholomew, Senior Economist at Aberdeen. And today we are talking about the European economy and in particular the German economy. And that's because the European economy has been notably sluggish recently. And within that, Germany has been especially weak. So much so that some people are calling Germany the new sick man of Europe. Now, I have to say, at this point, it feels like quite a few countries over the years have been called the new sick man of Europe. So it's perhaps more like the new, new, new or something like that sick man that Germany is. But either way, I think it is clear that there are a lot of interesting things happening in Europe that are important to the global macro economy and markets, including around growth, inflation, monetary policy, industrial policy, fiscal policy. So I am delighted to say joining us today to discuss all of that is Felix Feather, European Economic Analyst at Aberdeen. Welcome, Felix. Thanks for having me on, Luke. So Felix, as I said, the European economy has been very weak recently, um, so much so that the eurozone only narrowly avoided a technical recession, that is two consecutive quarters of contraction at the back end of last year. And to put that in perspective, at the same time that Europe was stagnating, the US economy grew by over 4% annualized. So the European economy notably weaker than many other developed market economies. So perhaps, Felix, we can start off with you just telling us why European growth has been so weak recently.
1: So I guess you could start the um, discussion with with the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the subsequent shocks to energy prices, which triggered a a very large hiking cycle from the ECB. So back at the beginning of 2022, you had negative interest rates. That was the ECB deposit rate was sat at negative 0.5%. Now they've gone all the way up to 4%. That's tightened financial conditions quite a lot and uh, obviously weighed on growth, which is what you should expect. Unlike in some other DMs, especially the US, where that's been paired with quite a strong supply side response, response to the hiking cycle has been perhaps a bit more conventional in Europe and that you've had a very slow period of growth, not just last year, but uh, you'll recall at the end of 2022 and going into 2023, we're at a very similar juncture with the economy just avoiding recession
0: and i suppose another big headwind that could be facing the european economy right now has been the big increase in shipping rates related to issues in the middle east and the red sea and in particular the rotterdam to shang high route has been particularly badly hit and that is of course key for European trade so much like the big increase in energy prices related to the invasion of Ukraine this represents a large negative supply shock to the European economy so whilst the US has been benefiting from positive supply environment over the last year Europe perhaps continuing to be hit by these negative supply shocks that push growth down and inflation up at the same time indeed think our modelling suggests that if we see shipping rates sustained at these kind of levels we could be adding something like 0.7 percentage points to inflation. I mean, it's worth saying that that's not nothing but it is pretty small in the context of, of the big run-up in um, inflation shipping rates that occurred during the pandemic so I don't think we're talking about that kind of shock but still it is another thing that could be weighing on European growth and in particular trade routes out of Europe, which perhaps um, turns this quite nicely to Germany, which is very much uh, an export driven economy, or at least has been in the past. And as I say, its economic growth within the Eurozone has been especially weak recently. So what are the cyclical and structural headwinds that Germany is facing to its growth model?
1: So the primary cyclical driver is the same one that's been affecting the Eurozone as a whole. You've had a very big monetary tightening that's always going to weigh on growth and particularly in Germany where you've got a very large industrial sector which is interest rate sensitive that weighs on production quite strongly. The structural drivers might be more interesting here and uh, they're definitely most strongly felt in the industrial part of the economy. Uh, the first I'd say is, is climate transition and another is uh increased geopolitical competitiveness, and if we want to get into the weeds of this a bit, we can understand what's going on here uh, by looking into the auto um, industry, a bit where you've seen exports in particular really struggle over the last five years or so. This is partly related to the fact that a lot of big competitors for Germany have been implementing industrial policy, which has made the uh, export markets um, more competitive. Uh, China has put a lot of subsidies into the production of electric vehicles. Uh, You had the Inflation Reduction Act uh, a couple of years ago in the US, which has similarly um, prioritized domestic production there. And this means that in a key industry, Germany is squeezed out in a way that it hasn't Previously been and uh, exports slowing quite a lot. Uh, and within this uh, auto space is also that little climate transition factor that's there um, playing an important role. Germany's got a long established comparative advantage in the production of combustion powered vehicles, traditionally powered vehicles, but not so much in the electric vehicle space. Uh, these sorts of industrial transitions uh require a lot of innovation and investment and it is a key challenge for the german economy going forward to uh, meet these meet these hurdles in order to um retain its leading position as a, a as a global manufacturer of high end goods
0: and i suppose one contrast that brings out quite nicely how important the economic composition of Germany is in terms of why it's facing this kind of weakness is to compare it with the likes of Spain or Portugal in the EU, which, unlike Germany, are much more services and tourism driven, and they've been some of the bright spots of of growth within the eurozone so it is very much a reflection of the kind of economic structure that that Germany has and the difficulty of being in that energy intensive industrial production exporting space at the moment and as you say in particular with uh, a long-standing comparative advantage in internal combustion engine production, which is a difficult place to be as China, the US, adopt their industrial policy in a way to to move into producing more electric vehicles, the regulatory and consumption environment becoming less um, friendly um, as well. But another factor that might well weigh on the German economy this year outside of its economic structure is one of fiscal policy, so that is government spending and taxation policy. And in this regard, we've seen interesting ruling by the German Constitutional Court late last year that seems to require the government to push through quite significant fiscal tightening. So can you tell us about this ruling and and why it matters? Yeah, without getting
1: too much into the details of uh, German fiscal rules, um, the upshot is that in Germany, you're... um, Fiscal deficit, your government deficit, is capped at 0.35% GDP every year. Uh, and you can't go over this except if explicitly legislated for some sort of emergency. Uh, the German uh, government wanted to use emergency funds related to climate transition, pandemic support, uh, to implement some of their high cost programs. However, the Constitutional Court ruled that at least some of these funds would not be available for the purposes which they were earmarked for. Therefore, uh, the the government had to find a lot of savings from its original intended budget. This means that you get a lot less government spending. Um, Some of the Some of the tax breaks, which were um, planning to be introduced for the um, industrial sector, won't be going ahead. And all in all, you get a much less strong impulse from the government deficit next year than you did last year. It's worth noting that this would have been the case anyway, as uh, some emergency spending was due to uh, roll off and come to an end in 2024. But this uh, has caused uh, the German um, government to find an extra 200 billion euro or so from um, their off balance sheet uh, spending. This for for information could be a hit to GDP of about 0.3, 0.4 percent. It's not always um, entirely clear when these uh, cuts are going to land Uh, and indeed that could mean that you get uh, a less than anticipated spending going forward in 2025, 26, 27 as well, which could weigh on growth on the medium term as well. It's a very short term as a uh, result of this judgment.
0: Yeah, and it's worth saying that 0.3, 0.4 percentage points may not sound especially large, but when growth is basically zero or at best only modestly positive, that kind of hit is the kind of thing that could tip you into a recession very easily as potential growth gets lower. These kind of hits as a percentage of total growth obviously become much bigger. And it's it's worth saying that fiscal rules are not just a feature of Germany but of the eurozone as a whole and indeed the European fiscal rules sometimes referred to as the Maastricht conditions most famously that government debt to GDP shouldn't exceed 60% and year-on-year government deficit shouldn't exceed 3% of GDP these rules are coming back after having been suspended during the pandemic. But interestingly, unlike Germany, where the constitutional court's ruling does seem to be quite binding, that isn't the case in Europe in the sense that it doesn't seem to be directly affecting fiscal policy over the next year or so. Felix, in fact, you've referred to them as coming back without a bang. So, so why, why is that and why do they not especially matter for, for policy over the next couple of years?
1: Well, I think you can see, if you look at the detail of the rules, these rules, which were agreed as always by negotiation between the member states of the European Union, that they were designed uh, with uh, accommodating national budget plans without requiring uh, governments to make cutbacks from those plans. Uh, So that means you get a lot of carve-outs, you get a lot of leeway, you get bespoke debt reduction plans and uh, as a result we don't expect any governments to be going away looking at their budgets and saying okay we need to make cuts here here and here rather it's a case of as you were this is despite the fact that a lot of countries are in breach of the old um, rules which stipulated as you said you've got that three percent deficit rule loads of countries running deficits and planning to run deficits quite a lot higher than that Uh, obviously lots of countries in breach of the 60% debt rule previously, you were going to be reducing that debt differential between 60 and your current level of debt by one 20th year. Those rules are quite a lot less restrictive now. Um, There is sort of an irony here, I guess that one of your countries where you've had, um, historic, quite strong compliance with those rules and relatively low debt and uh, deficit ratios, uh, having to make adjustments because of fiscal rules in Germany, whereas other countries where that's money running uh, in excess of 100% and uh, deficits around 5%, as you've got in places like France and Spain, not having to make adjustments in The near term at least. There is a broad requirement to bring these uh, ratios back in line with the um, limits defined in the treaty over time, but that could mean that if the governments aren't back in line with those um, ratios by, say, I think 2028 is the the deadline for when the carve-outs expire, then you end up in the same situation that we were in last year where a load of uh, countries cannot comply with the debt rules and maybe they need to be changed or made more lenient again to retain the, the rules' as credibility. Obviously, if you do end up in the situation where rules have to be changed on a rolling basis, they do lose some credibility and uh, that, that could be a concern.
0: So as you say, Felix, I mean, the rules seem to have been very carefully negotiated in written in such a way that they won't necessitate any short-term significant adjustments in fiscal policy and indeed there's a possibility that as and when they come up for renewal the same dynamic uh, uh, comes into play again. That being said and without the aid of these rules fiscal policy in the eurozone over the next couple of years is turning restrictive or at the very least the, the impulse that it imparts on growth should be negative. So could you explain why that would be the case and how much of an impact that's likely to have on the European economy as a whole?
1: Yeah, that's right. The um, fiscal impulse is going to be quite negative over the next year, at least. Uh, So the reason for this is similar to what we already mentioned with regard to Germany. A lot of EU countries have continued to operate pandemic and um, energy shock-related support Over 2023, with that expiring in 2024, which means that some of that deficit spending comes off the books, which is a negative fiscal impulse, which is bad for growth. Some good examples of this are VAT exemptions on energy bills, which we've got rolling off in Italy and Germany, France's um, publicly funded electricity price cap that's due to roll off. These measures are being phased out as we speak. This means that you're going to end up with less consumption spending from the government side in the economy, weighing on overall GDP. Uh, so, we've had a look at the budget proposals from national governments and compared the level of net spending this year to last year and seeing what the overall impulse comes to for each country in terms of its impact on GDP as a percentage. For the bloc as a whole, this is about. drag. So that's quite a, quite a fair chunk of growth to be losing when uh, growth last year was only 0.4, 0.5%, the right side of zero. And there's quite importantly, some significant variation across the block. So this fiscal impulse will be uh, more strongly negative in some Uh, Southern European economies where deficits are larger. Uh, It's going to be quite strongly negative in Germany where the domestic fiscal rules are biting. But for some, um, this won't really play a role at all. For example, the Netherlands, quite an important northern economy. You're actually getting the opposite effect. Uh, You're getting expansion of deficit spending. So important variation across the economies is going to be key
0: here. And so then finally on monetary policy, given this weak environment we've been discussing and also the fact that inflation has moderated quite sharply over the last year in part because of the the weakness in growth. There has been a lot of speculation amongst um, investors, market participants about the European Central Bank cutting interest rates very soon. Um, But there was a little bit of pushback um, from key European policymakers, President Lagarde and others at both the European Central Bank's meeting and in other forums, suggesting that there are a few things that the ECB needed to see before it was prepared to start cutting rates. So what do you think uh, is necessary for the European Central Bank to become comfortable about the fact that now is the time to start easing policy and when do we think those conditions will be met
1: well let me start by saying what i don't think is sufficient for you to get a cut and that's just a simple continuation in the disinflation that we've seen so far um what the uh, governing council really wants to see to be able to cut rates is uh data that changes its view that medium-term inflation pressures, underlying inflationary pressures are going to be a little bit softer than they think. So the key thing here is going to be wage growth. The ECB thinks the current ongoing wage negotiations, which you get a lot of in Q1 in the Eurozone, that they're gonna come out pretty strong. And this would be a concern because they're concerned about second round effects on consumer prices from strong wage growth. Whether or not you agree that this is the correct way to be thinking about things, it means that you shouldn't expect uh, cuts to come immediately unless you do see strong, a strong slowdown in wage growth. A key problem here is that wage data is actually very backward looking. Uh, It's published only quarterly, and so we won't know, uh, for example, what The official measures of Q1 wage growth in the Eurozone were by the time the ECB meets in April. So what you need to do here and what the ECB have confirmed that they are doing is keep an eye on some high frequency, timely labour market data, which gives us an idea of where wage growth might be right now. Uh, For example, you've got the Indeed posted wage growth. That's indeed the job market site, publishing that on a monthly basis from which we can take an idea of um, where wage growth is sitting by the time the April meeting comes about. If these more timely measures do show a slowdown in wage growth, I think it's quite likely that there would be a strong argument in favor of a cut at that meeting. Um, Certainly, there's some doves on the board who I think would be pushing for that quite hard. Uh, Certainly, Q2, at some point, a cut looks quite likely given the strength of disinflation and the weakness in the economy. Right now, market pricing um, suggests that you've got about a 60% chance of a cut in April, which looks to me pretty sensible. Uh, either way, when rate cuts do start, we expect a relatively deep cutting cycle because of the strength of disinflation as uh, past monetary tightening continues to weigh on prices.
0: Yeah, and perhaps it's worth um, saying that whilst the strength of the wage growth might be staying the hand of the ECB at the moment, it is something that could provide uh, some upside impetus for the European economy perhaps that is what ultimately uh, drags Europe out of this very weak environment that we've been in the last 18 months or so and that we've been discussing today so as the year progresses perhaps you get um, stronger wage growth interest rates coming down and that's ultimately what sees um, the European economy turning round but I think that is all we have time for this week so As ever, please do forgive me if I asked you once again to like and subscribe on your preferred podcast provider. And then all that remains is for me to thank Felix for joining us today. Thank you. And to thank you all for listening. So thanks very much and speak again soon. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for information purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment, recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may it back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns, return projections, or estimates, and provide no guarantee of future results.